You're at the Listening Post, where we don't cover the news, we cover the way the news is covered. In 17 years of doing this program, we have never seen a story anything like Israel's war on Gaza. The extent of the brutality, civilians, children, slaughtered in their thousands. The disinformation, the sheer volume of it, designed to defend the indefensible. The complicity of so many Western news outlets repeatedly exposed for failing to question Israeli propaganda and then spreading it. This war is a watershed moment for the Western-dominated world order and its media ecosystem, which is why, ever since the first shots were fired, we have covered nothing else. We're closing the book on 2023 now with a compilation of our reporting on Gaza so far, documenting the information war as it is played out. Our starting point, October 7th. What we are seeing out of the wreckage of Hamas's attack on Israel is unprecedented. More Israelis killed on a single day than at any time since the country's creation in 1948. The way they died, what we have been told, and what has been alleged about Hamas and the atrocities. Gaza turned into a slaughterhouse. Entire neighborhoods wiped out by Israeli bombs. Moral boundaries have been undone. Unwritten rules have been rewritten and limits dispensed with, as though they are now obsolete, like yesterday's news. The vast majority of Israelis were obviously not alive during the Holocaust, so this is their first experience um, with atrocity uh, of this magnitude. There is uh, an undeniable amount of rage and anger, of fear, but also it has become a cause for unity in Israel. The Netanyahu government has called Hamas's assault Israel's 9-11. The prime minister, who sees no immediate benefit in a public examination of Israel's military and intelligence shortcomings, targets his sound bites at the enemy instead. התמונות של החורבן וההרס ממעוזי החמאס בעזה הן רק ההתחלה. חיסלנו מאות רבות של מחבלים, ולא נעצור שם. אמרתי שכל מקום שממנו פועל החמאס יהפוך ליהיה חורבות. Across Israel's government, ministers are on message. The enemy is Hamas, but the punishment meted out will affect all Gazans, 2.3 million of them. אנחנו מטילים what the defense minister is promising there, cutting off a population supply of food, water, power for its hospitals, meets the legal definition of a war crime. Despite all of that, at a time of war, the Netanyahu government can rely on the Israeli media to match its calls for vengeance, even take them up a notch. There tend to be shows with large panels uh, for hours on end, and there's been a high uniformity of message in terms of almost one-upping each other. At the same time, there has been this constant drip feed of 
how come it all went so wrong? People whose family in the military were, were missing, were perhaps captured, taken to Gaza, appearing and saying, we've heard nothing. In the days after the attack, some of the coverage in the global media spiraled chaotically. One of the most prominent disturbing stories was that Hamas fighters beheaded Israeli infants, 40 of them. It came out when the Israeli military took the international media on a tour of a kibbutz in Kafar Aza, where scores of Israelis had been killed. Women, children. Women, children, babies. The Israeli channel, I-24, ran the story first, based on a claim from one Israeli soldier. They cut her of children, cut her of women. Journalists were given no other information. The Israeli army repeatedly would not confirm the allegation, but it went out anyway. Babies and toddlers were found with their heads decapitated. And it kept going. Uh, allegations that 40 babies were beheaded. Among the Western officials who echoed the story, the President of the United States. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. Just hours after that statement, the White House took it back and issued a correction. After three weeks of punishing Israeli bombardment of Gaza, Palestinians there remain sealed off from the outside world. Israel is still refusing to allow international journalists or investigators in. Ask yourself why. Since Hamas's horrific attack on Israelis on October 7th, Palestinian journalists have been killed at a rate of roughly one per day. Among the survivors, Al Jazeera Arabic's bureau chief in Gaza, much of his immediate family was killed in yet another Israeli attack in a one-sided war, a military mismatch that has killed more than 7,000 Palestinians, at least 3,000 of them children. <laughs> For Arabic speakers watching the news of Israel's assault on Gaza, one face has been synonymous with the coverage. Al Jazeera Arabic's bureau chief there, Wa'il Dahdu. This past Wednesday, Dahdu was reporting live when he got the call, the one every Palestinian in Gaza dreads. An Israeli airstrike had wiped out his immediate family, his wife, son, daughter, and grandson. They had been sheltering in the Nusayrat refugee camp in central Gaza, an area Israel had designated as safe. For Palestinian journalists, it was a crushing reminder, as if they needed one, that there is no safe haven left in Gaza. It's so scary and so terrifying to be a journalist because you're not just reporting on the suffering of the people, you're also reporting the killing of your friends and your family members. We are actually seeing journalists performing other duties other than journalism. Heading to the place that got strike and just people gave me this. Two babies. One of the, the most heartbreaking videos is of Mu'taz Azaizeh carrying two children. 
And he's trying to do everything at once. He's trying to be the paramedic. He's trying to be the human to comfort the children. He's also trying to be the journalist to report on the story. Israel's Hasbara campaign, its PR effort to win diplomatic backing and shape public perception is in overdrive these days. Not that it's really needed in places like India. Prime Minister Narendra Modi has been crystal clear in his backing of this war. New Delhi says it sees it as an act of counter-terrorism and self-defense. Just last month, when the UN voted in favor of a humanitarian pause, India abstained. Indo-Israeli relations have been on the upswing for the past few years now. The image of Israel as a high-tech, prosperous nation that survives in a region populated by quote-unquote enemies resonates with many Indians. And they've been showing their support through posts online, rants on television, with some disinformation thrown in to skew how this conflict is understood. The Listening Post's Meenakshi Ravi now on the pro-Israeli messaging that's coming out of India and why it matters. Two days after Hamas fighters burst out of Gaza and carry out one of the most audacious attacks on Israeli territory, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office posts this video online. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. Within minutes, the message has thousands of shares and replies. Numerous Israeli posts demand Netanyahu's resignation. But there's another set of messages from Indians, and they are all in. So the responses from Indian accounts have been extraordinary, to say the least. Sometimes they put up posters in which they say, we stand with Israel. Sometimes they put graphics of two hands in a clasp painted with Israeli and Indian flags. Sometimes they've just tried to reflect on how this conflict in Gaza mirrors the kind of challenges that India faces security-wise. When we try to understand why is there such a widespread interest in India with respect to this particular conflict, one of the things is a shared experience of terrorism. When October 7th happened, Hamas's attack on Israel, in India almost immediately parallels were drawn with the 26-11 experience, which were a major terrorist attack happening on the Indian city of Mumbai in 2008. To me, it had a lot of shades of our own 2611 uh, when you had terrorists coming from Pakistan on boats and uh, uh, creating the rampage that they did. This major space that Israel suddenly started to occupy in the Indian imagination was because that common threat was found. The same radical, jihadist, Islamist, terrorist thinking that Israel is a victim of, we are a victim of as well. Israel is fighting this war on behalf of all of us. Israel is fighting this war for you and me. New Delhi's support for Israel was swift and unequivocal. Prime Minister Narendra Modi tweeted in solidarity, and Indian news outlets, as though on cue, went on a war footing themselves. Channels that, just a few months earlier, had not seen fit to send their journalists to cover unprecedented violence in India's northeastern state of Manipur, they dispatched reporters all the way to Israel. Heavy bombs uh, are, are being used right now to take out the Hamas leadership, and, you know, there is collateral damage. Proclamations of vengeance and calls for mass killing were issued from Indian news studios. Aapki policy wo honi chahiye, 1,000 for 1. Agar aapke hazar Israel ke bacche shaheed hoen, to unke 10 lakh honi chahiye. 
The left-wing anti-apartheid side of Israeli society is clearly in the minority these days. Once the October 7th attacks took place, the country was in a state of shock. Such voices were largely silenced. And yet, on the fringes of Israeli public discourse, anti-war voices persist. People like Orly Noy. She is a journalist and an editor working with a couple of left-wing outlets, Plus 972 magazine and the Hebrew-language news site Local Call. Her message, that Israeli society tacitly approves of ethnic cleansing and genocidal violence against Palestinians, does not represent mainstream public opinion there. And for that reason, it is a perspective that needs to be heard. It's incredibly difficult to really thoroughly analyze the impact of October 7th on the Israeli society. Without a doubt, this is conceived as the biggest tragedy, disaster that the uh, country has ever experienced. One of the very worrying things that has been happening in Israel since October 7th is the silencing of anyone who dares to speak about the context. You cannot detach the October 7th from 16 years of a siege in the level of counting the amount of calories that every Gazan is allowed to consume daily. What Hamas did on October 7th was really an unbelievably cruel and heinous crime, but it came within a context. October 7th turned me and voices such as mine into public enemies. They are calling us Hamas supporters, they are calling us uh, traitors. One of the things that really hurt the most for me is the delegitimization of my own grief over October 7th. It's like we were stripped from the legitimacy to share that public grief if we do not support the massacre in Gaza right now. If you're not willing to be fully part of that narrative, you're not allowed to even grieve the horrible disaster of October 7th. Picking up your phone these days and going through your social media feeds comes with risks, such as finding yourself scrolling through a genocide, seeing what it's like to live under bombardment in a war zone that's more like a killing field, where one side has almost all of the firepower and vengeance on its mind. As for the Israeli social media space, it has become a breeding ground for anti-Palestinian hatred. Ever since Hamas's attacks on October 7th, there have been calls for revenge there that are now being answered and celebrated. Soldiers posting videos showing the humiliation of Palestinian civilians, laughing as they bulldoze cars and buildings, taunting a terrified population. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz reported that one Israeli army unit has its own telegram channel that puts out similar stuff. 
material that's meant to mask a lack of progress on the battlefield. Setbacks like the ambush in Shujaya, northern Gaza, this week, that killed 10 Israeli soldiers. You have the Israeli soldiers themselves posting their spoils of war on social media that are in direct contradiction to the official Israeli military narrative, which is one of a just moral war against Hamas. Videos of them looting homes, stealing jewelry, describing Palestinian women as whores while digging through intimate items inside their homes. Images meant to galvanize Israeli society and bring more support um, from the home front towards these Israeli soldiers who are clearly on this path of revenge in Gaza. The way that Palestinians are being perceived uh, in these songs, the references to them as dogs and cockroaches and particular references to, to a biblical and, and historical uh, context. Um, it's terrifying. It, it makes you realize that this is not about what happened in October 7. There's something much deeper and much older than all, all of this. And I think it is actually notable that a lot of pro-Palestine Twitter is simply just sharing um, Israeli social media output because the Israeli soldiers and the Israeli officials themselves are making it very clear what their intention is. They are celebrating Palestinian death and displacement. So there is no need for, for anyone to kind of uh, add an explanation. They're just sharing what we're seeing. Images like this, which can evoke the unthinkable. Palestinian men in northern Gaza, initially purported to be Hamas fighters, stripped to the bare essentials by Israeli soldiers, put to shame. A group we later learned included a well-known doctor, a journalist, academics. The Israeli military says it did not release the images intentionally, that some of its soldiers posted them on social media, and that doing so was needless and humiliating. However, that telegram channel, the one reportedly controlled by the Israeli military, has posted material that is similar, if not worse. The images have shocked overseas audiences, but not Palestinian ones, that see them as a reiteration, scaled up, of the displacement and occupation they have known since 1948. We shouldn't fall into the trap of the newness because this is part of the way that the Israeli regime treats Palestinians from 48. This is not the first time. We saw them many times throughout those 75 years. These are images that resonate for me with other images. Images, you know, from the Holocaust. Palestinians were racialized by the state of Israel uh, in a way that it was predicted that they will be constantly concentrated and killed. What we see now is a change in the scale and in the speed and circulation of images that uh, provoke a rage and calls by uh, millions around the world to stop this genocide. And they began sending these messages to their own people. If you watch Israeli TV, since this whole thing started, Channel 12, 13, and 14 in particular, have done nothing but play these videos in every TV uh, program, political debate. They are trying to tell the ordinary Israeli as a main target audience, do not worry, 
everything is under control. We still command that kind of relationship with the Palestinians. They are still humiliated. We are still in charge. There will be one day, right, when the Israelis will wake up to a reality that they committed genocide. So I think that we have to ask how those state apparatuses like media, like education, are being mobilized in order to lead to such a genocide. The channel run by the army, I don't want to be shocked by this channel because the state of Israel runs like this channel. In Israel, there are around nine and something million citizens. People around the world don't really know that, but 20% of Israel's population are Palestinians. Technically, we are Israelis. We have Israeli passports, we have Israeli uh, ID cards, we are citizens of Israel. But I think at the moment, there is no shortage of evidence that shows that for at least 20% of the population of this country it doesn't feel like a democracy. There's always been restrictions on freedom of expression and freedom of speech when it comes to Palestinian citizens of Israel. But, you know, post-October 7th was probably one of the worst weeks of my entire life. Uh, the atmosphere was terrifying, uh, horrifying. There have been few uh, uh, incidents and um, um, few scenes on Israeli media that I will never forget my entire life. I remember one guy looking at the camera, warning Palestinian citizens of Israel. I remember another incident where an Israeli soldier was on TV with his army uniform and he was talking to a Palestinian journalist. She was from the Israeli Broadcasting Corporation. She was supposed to do like a small report on Palestinian citizens of Israel and then all of a sudden this guest on the panel looks at her and says something like, in the before times, such monologues would be labeled as, you know, fringe, and maybe that, you know, TV personality would get even fired. Now it's mainstream. There's one channel, Channel 14, who makes uh, Fox News look like the most progressive, amazing, a uh, news channel in the world. It's insane what's happening there. At the moment, if you watch the most popular uh, uh, TV channel in Israel, uh, Channel 12, and if you watch after you watch Channel 14, you won't see many differences. I think my greatest disappointment is from Haaretz, to be honest. For years and years and years, it was, I would argue, the only real respected uh, media outlet in Israel. But what's happened after October 7th? All of a sudden, you wake up, you open the newspaper, and you see, you know, columns and, 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 and articles and reports calling for genocide even in Haaretz. Some of these people are my friends. I thought they were my friends. 
I go to, uh, to their social media and I see one of their reporters just like sharing a photo of a bomb signed by her. I see other journalists in that same outlet making jokes with their friends whether they're going to build their beach home after they occupy Gaza and you know, commit genocide on the Palestinian people. That's not, that's not funny. That's not funny. That's really worrying and it's really terrifying. It's become insane. I mean, I feel like there is no talking to these people. When Hamas and Islamic Jihad fighters broke out of the Gaza Strip on October 7th and attacked Israelis, they transformed the status quo in an occupation that has lasted for decades. The war of annihilation that followed, the indiscriminate Israeli bombing, the starvation and mass killing of Palestinians, has experts in previous genocides calling this one what it is. Among those targeted en masse by Israel, the people covering this story. Palestinian journalists documenting what is happening have paid with their lives. The failure of Western leaders to stop the killing of civilians, the international media's role in failing to sufficiently question it, will not be forgotten. Their reputations are among the casualties of this war. Here at The Listening Post, we will be covering where the Gaza story goes next and how it is reported.